Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. For as long as they're in Oakland, the Oakland Athletics may never lose another baseball game ever again. Welcome back to the Batters Box. My name is David Guadrelli, joined as always by Mike Liu. Mike, that's where we're starting, is Oakland. Oakland, California. We are starting with the Oakland Athletics, who have now won seven straight games, recording this Tuesday evening, fresh off an Athletics victory over the first in the NL East, supposedly, Tampa Bay Rays, who fall to the A's 2-1 to one after Oakland strings together a comeback victory. Trevor May gets the save. What more can you ask for from these Oakland A's right now? Not much, and it comes, like, ironically, right off the heels after the Nevada Senate passed a bill to help finance the Vegas ballpark. So it, it's really funny that these Oakland A's are putting together a run. And I have to say, as a... As a fantasy owner of two Rays pitchers that pitched against Oakland, I was honestly just expecting free fantasy points. I did not get that. Instead, I saw pitchers getting dinged for... Uh, I, I saw pitchers, my pitchers get dinged for four earned runs each against the AAA Athletics. This is insane. And you're putting out the energy that they might never lose a game. Honestly, with the way that they played against the, uh, against the Tampa Bay Rays, they even had... Uh, they had my boy... Shintaro Fujinami starting us off like this is by this is the guy who is considered to have the worst stats in the mod in modern pitching and they still got the win he, he finished the first inning with almost two strikeouts do you know how amazing this is I I don't I can't even describe how <laughs> it, it is absurd that they're putting this run together and there is no hotter team in the MLB than the Oakland Athletics how, They're a buzzsaw. The, they are carving through all these teams right now. Two out of three versus the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are first in the NL Central. They sweep the second in the NL Central, Milwaukee Brewers, almost called them the Bucks. Then uh. they take two out of four, and keep in mind they've only played two. There's still two games to go at the time of this recording. Like I said, against the supposedly first in the NL East, Tampa Bay Rays... It's not just that they're winning these games. They're winning them in commanding fashion. Like, they, they are looking like a team capable of doing damage, even though we know that their record basically guarantees that whatever damage they will do will be minimal. The, the, question, the question that we really should be asking is who finishes the season with the worst record in baseball? Is it the A's 
or is it the Royals? Because two weeks ago, before this seven-game heater, we would have both said, without question, the Oakland A's. Like, just quality of roster, it's the Oakland A's. But right now, the Kansas City Royals have an 18-49 and record, <laughs> and the Oakland A's have a 19-50 and record. So who finishes the season with a worse record? Is it the A's, or is it the Royals? Honestly, with how the Royals have been playing recently, and keeping in mind that Kansas is bit like they're bitten by the injury bug right now. This is not this is brutal. At one point um th- there's the visualization, you know that visualization graphic of the standings. They do it for the NHL and then they do it for the MLB. It's really cool to see. You could see the athletics like they didn't exist on that. And a similar drop is starting to occur for Kansas City. And it's kind of scary considering that the A's are intentionally trying to be bad. The Royals mm-hmm. The Royals are trying to build. And yes, we, we shouldn't expect success right off the bat. We shouldn't be expecting like the good, good old heydays where they were making World Series runs every other year. But they shouldn't be comparable to the Oakland Athletics at this stage. It's June. Like, it's June. And, and we're asking this question. And like, we say that, but... We wouldn't have been asking this question in April or May. We weren't asking this question in April or May. But in all seriousness, with regards to the athletics, we have to give a shout-out to the fans, and that's the thing at the forefront. Whenever we talk about the Oakland A's, we always make sure the fans are at the forefront here because they're the ones getting fucked over by this owner. They're the ones that are going to lose their team for Vegas. And look, they do the reverse boycott tonight and credit to the athletics the athletics donated all the money from the game i gotta pull this up i actually can't remember where they donated it to but there there was twenty seven thousand plus fans in the game uh tonight and all season long oakland has hardly had even a thousand fans like there was a there was an instance about a week or two ago i believe atlanta was in town at the coliseum where the the pitcher stopped using his pitch calm because he was worried that the batter could hear his pitch calm because it was that quiet in the arena. And th- that was a Braves pitcher pulled his earpiece out and was like, I don't want to use the pitch calm anymore because it's too damn quiet in here. So the A's, okay, they donated all their ticket revenue to two local community organizations the food bank, uh, yeah, the food bank uh, and the Oakland Public Education Fund, which, hey, that- you know what? That, that's a good move. I like that. that, that that's, that's so a good dope. Move. Yeah. It, and uh, for, for that crowd, and if you're watching the game as well from home, you can hear them. They were engaged every single moment. Like, they were showing their support of the team. And the reverse boycott, I, it, it's so it's such a difficult position to be in as an ace fan. Do you give more money to a franchise that is actively trying to leave your town? You know that most likely they're gone after this year. So what is their incentive to spend the money? And you just come out and see this and you realize how, how much of a storied franchise, how much of a passionate fan base the Oakland athletics have in this Bay area. You have to feel for the Bay, uh, for Oakland. They've lost three professional teams. They're about to lose. They've lost two. They're about to lose three professional teams in the past five years. Uh, And somehow these fans just come out 
and they're loud, they're chanting, and what better way to promote the visibility of their boycott than to be constantly chanting, sell the team? We know how sensitive the MLB is with this topic as well. They've done their best to baby John Fish, John Fisher, uh, and whatnot, like panning away from signs, not showing all, not showing the fans, and the fans are what make baseball so incredible all around the league, and nowhere else is that more present right now than the Oakland Athletics and how they have responded to all of this. And I think the reverse boycott perfectly encapsulated just what an incredible sports market this is and what a shame it would be to lose them. And there's no guarantee that Vegas is going to happen. Like, that seemed like a guarantee, but it's not for sure just yet like like we don't know for sure that they're going to go to vegas it it might be too late for these fans to have saved their team but at the very least like like if if it's too late if it's too late if it's too late at the very least these fans have shown mlb they have shown any billionaire whoever wants to buy an mlb team that they will support a winner. Like, they will support a team that puts a good product on the field, right? Like, they showed they're capable of that. So, hey, expansion, maybe maybe it's something that's in the cards. I, I, I just wish they didn't really have to leave the market in the first place, to be quite honest with you. I think everybody's an Oakland A's fan right now uh, around baseball because it just sucks what's happening to this team. Um, but you, you brought up the point of a reverse boycott, like, you know, why would fans give the money to an owner or, you know, that kind of thing. I think it's nice that the A's kind of took that out of the equation for them. It was, hey, you know what? You, you want to come to the game. You're going to tell us to sell the team, blah, 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 all that. We're going to donate all the money from the ticket revenue tonight to local organizations, which is, hey, that they should do that every game. And fans would show up all season long. I'm sure fans would have no problem continuing to come out. And, and you know what I'm really curious about is the crowd we see on Wednesday. Like, this was a this was planned for weeks. Like for weeks, they were saying this is the game we're gonna go to. It just helps a lot that the A's were on a seven game heater and that they played the way they did tonight as well. Do we see it for Wednesday when they go for eight? Do we see it? Like I I would I hope so. I hope the fans keep coming out and keep wearing their sell the team shirts, having those sell the team chants all throughout the Coliseum. Look, that's 27,000-plus fans all united on their owner getting the hell out of town. That's special. That's a special pro sports moment. You'd, you'd wish we can have that in Vancouver. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> it's, it's tough to see. Um, but, cre- again, credit to the Athletics fan base for putting this all together, for standing united. And uh, just I can't escape being a stats guy. Um, no matter where I go. So something fun I saw from Sarah Langs, the Oakland the Oakland A's seven game win streak is actually tied for the longest win streak by a team to enter the win streak with a sub two hundred win percentage, minimum of twenty five games into the season. They're tied with the eighteen ninety five uh, Louisville uh, Colonels and the eighteen eighty five Detroit Wolverines. That's a great stat. I, I, I'm, I'm a little shocked you brought it up just so so easily like that. You just had that ready to go. You had that holstered, and I, I respect you for it. I respect <laughs> you for uh, having that ready to go. Okay, let's move on from Oakland. Let's move north, south for us, north to Seattle. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Mariners. More specifically, 
I want to talk about Bryce Miller. I want to talk about this young man, this young starter who came into the league, looked completely unstoppable, broke a bunch of records for fewest base runners allowed, looked like the shining light for Seattle, who already has a pretty decent rotation. Yes, they've been underperforming, but Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, that's three pretty great starters right there. Yeah, it's been up and down, but adding Bryce Miller to that, that was a lot of hope for Mariners fans. So Bryce Miller comes in, has some awesome, awesome starts, and then gets rocked a little bit. Has that tough start against the Yankees where he only goes four and a half innings. The next start was even worse against the Texas Rangers who we've talked about already. Their offense is just absolutely ridiculous. Already talked about that. And that's when worry started to set in for me, Mike, because that's when you start to see young pitchers. Okay, he gave up eight runs against the Yankees, gives up seven against the Texas Rangers. That's when you start to see young starters really start to fall off, right? Is when they get knocked around like that. And it's how do they rebound? That's the question that you have to ask about these young starters. Now, for a guy like Miller, who, let's be honest, is a two-pitch starting pitcher, who typically don't have a ton of success, fastball, slider, that's his bread and butter. He throws his changeup 6% of the time, and honestly, he should probably be throwing it less Fastball slider is his bread and butter. He comes back on Monday night with yours truly in the building, at the ballpark, goes six innings, allows three walks, two of which came in the second inning and made me think, here we go again, allows one hit, yes, it was a home run, but allows one hit, strikes out six over six frames en route to a Mariners victory. Those Mariners, with their win on Tuesday night as well, with George Kirby on the bump, we'll get to him in a second, are back at 500, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Mariners, but I want to zero in more on Bryce Miller. And what I want to say is what Bryce Miller needs to do to find success. Like I was thinking about this a lot, and you chime in as well if you if you think of any examples of past pitchers that you've seen this with. But just in my kind of experience, and anytime you talk to any pitcher who's moved up at any level, you know, um, through the professional ranks. What you hear a lot and what you see a lot is a pitcher who, especially one who relies on a fastball or relies on one pitch a lot, like it could be a breaking ball, it doesn't matter, but for Miller, it's the fastball. We, we've talked about his fastball, it's a Garrett Cole, like fastball is one of the best we've ever seen, but it's his main pitch, right? And what it looked like with the Yankees and the Rangers was that guys were starting to wait on it and they were starting to sit and just say, you know what, if it's a slider, I'm going to look silly, but if it's a fastball, I'm swinging at it, and I am swinging at it hard. So when you're a young pitcher and you've had success throughout the minor leagues and even through your first few MLB starts, and you start to get knocked around like that and you're a fastball pitcher, you're either going to do one of two things. You're either going to figure it out or you're going to start to get shelled repeatedly because you're trying to change things up on the fly and not do what got you there in the first place. And for Bryce Miller, like I said, that's his fastball. And I'm going to try not to ramble on here, but what we see is guys start to increase the usage of their other pitches, which aren't as strong. We see guys start to spray their good pitch because they're trying desperately not to leave it hanging over the plate. So for Miller, we saw some walks. We saw some control issues. We also saw him leaving that fastball over the plate, and that's when it started to get tagged. We also saw him start to throw his slider a little too much, try to mix in different pitches, and again, 
it got tagged. Last night, Monday night, against Miami, he was so good with his placement of his fastball. I don't think he threw a changeup in that game. I believe it was all fastballs and all sliders. And like I said, it was one hit baseball through six innings. And the one hit he gave up was to the Miami Marlins eighth hitter, who, you know, I don't think he had a home run on the year. His name's slipping my mind right now. But he came to the plate and he sits on a slider and you could just tell he was waiting for the fastball and he got it high in the zone and he just crushed it. Like it, it wasn't even a, like there, it felt like there was nothing Miller could have done because that guy was literally just waiting on the fastball and he left it over the plate. That That's probably what he could have done differently is maybe not leave it over the plate, but the guy was sitting fastball and just was right on top of it when guys were waiting or not waiting. They were slow on it, slow catching up to it all night long. That guy just sat on it, hit it over the fence. And that was uh that was the only hit that Bryce Miller gave up in that start. But what I'm looking for in this next start for Bryce Miller is that he continues to pound that fastball, hit the zone and use his slider effectively. Don't lean on it because you're scared of your fastball getting tagged. Do what made you successful in the first place and get it back to who you were. Like, like that's what Bryce Miller needs to do. I don't buy the whole, well, he faced two good offenses against New York and Texas, and that's why he got shelled and Miami's not as good. I don't buy that because he faced Atlanta, he faced Houston, and it was the same thing. I get the books out on him a little bit more, but I really don't buy it. I think just pitch selection is all it comes down to and locating your pitches, right? Like, at, at this level... You have to locate your pitches, and if you don't, you're going to get tagged, and you're going to get tagged hard. I think you hit a lot of the uh, hit of a lot of the points right on the dot. I mean, as someone who's owned Bryce uh, Miller in fantasy as well, it, it, it's hard to see a rookie pitcher come in and get shelled, especially after three strong starts. And it's it, it's great to see him going back to what made him successful, and that is with the fastball. His He's always been uh, well. His baseball savvy page uh, shows that he's always been. He's sitting at the top in terms of um, that. He's sitting in the ninety third percentile in terms of um, walks. He basically barely walk. He barely walks any batters, and his fastball spin rate that sits in the ninety eighth percentile. That's pretty darn good for a rookie. The issue is that he hasn't been able to get many people to chase uh, much, but. That's sort of what happens when you're a fastball pitcher. You kind of just try and overwhelm batters. That's, depending on the day, not not necessarily the most reliable. And like you said, uh, that night against the Marlins, he was just firing. His pitch placement was perfect. And that's really what it comes down to is what he's selecting, when he's selecting, and where is he putting it. The problem that I can see coming up in the future is that... Uh, that over-reliance on the fastball might start to wear thin, might start to hurt him. I mean, if six, if 69% uh, of your pitchers are fastballs, it chances are that uh, your opposition can sit on it. And I think down the line, uh, for Bryce Miller to become a very effective starter at the MLB level, he'll need to develop a good secondary pitch and another off-speed pitch to throw in with it. Obviously, this is down the line. I don't... I don't uh, foresee it happening in this season or they really expect it. I mean, he's doing a great job filling in for an injured Robbie Ray and it kind of sucks because the, the Mariners would have had one of the best rotations in baseball 
Um, probably one of the most consistent, in my opinion, if Robbie Ray was in this lineup. But uh, regardless, uh, that's besides the point. Uh, his sweeper, uh, his third most commonly thrown pitch, that has a batting average of 412 with an expected batting average of 435. The slugging percentage on that pitch is a 647 with a, a expected slugging percentage of 707. That's not very good. And that's his third most used pitch. You can talk about his slider, how uh, how batters were starting to avoid it, but even that, even the slider, that had an expected slugging percentage of 431. He needs to be able to rely on the off-speed and mix it in if he's to succeed down the line, especially on a day when his fastball doesn't necessarily work. If his, let's say his pitch placement, his pitch selection isn't really on point, and teams are able to cue in on it or he's missing his spots. It's like just not feeling the fastball. Having another pitch in his arsenal besides a four-seamer would be very, very handy for him. And I think that's what he really needs um, to be a great starter at this level. Granted, he's been able to get away with it right now. Uh, I just don't see that happening down the line. And I agree with you. And if you think about pitchers of the past and what's an easy pitch for Miller to add to his arsenal. Like you've got the fastball, like, like that's a hard pitch to learn the way that Miller throws it, right? Like it's hard to be in the 98th percentile. That's why they call it the 98th percentile of spin rate. It's hard to have a fastball like Bryce Miller. Well, he's already got that. So this off season, not during the season, that that's kind of my main point is, you know, Take your beatings if you're going to get them, but keep doing what made you successful in the first place as much as you possibly can this season and adapt, like adapt for next year. It's not the end of the world if he gets tagged a little bit this year, but a changeup, like like develop a changeup, preferably a circle change that's going to be moving in on guys' hands, develop a changeup. Like, like you think of a guy like, Here's a name, Marco Estrada. Like, Marco Estrada Mm -hmm. was basically a two-pitch pitcher, and his fastball wasn't that great. His changeup, though, that was electric. Like, like if Bryce Miller can add a splitter or a changeup, and look, he has a changeup, he throws 6% of the time, but if he can (laughs) really get one, like, if he can really develop a changeup, he has the potential to be one of the elite starters in the game. Like, I know he pitched like an elite starter through the start of his career, but like you said, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable long-term unless he adapts. I'm not saying he needs to do it this season, but what he needs to do this season, like I said, is stick to your guns. Like, like don't start throwing your slider or your crappy changeup more because you're worried about your fastball getting tagged. Like, no, challenge those guys. Just make sure you're controlling it well. Like, like, don't shy away from those challenges. I think that's what I really want to see from Bryce Miller is keep that confidence up because that's what happens to so many guys, no matter what level you move up from, when what made you successful in the levels that you were previously in starts to fail, it's just human nature. Like, you're going to start trying something new, and chances are it's not going to work. It's not going to work for you. So, look... Go develop a changeup this offseason. Like, could you imagine? And look, this is a best case scenario. But could you imagine Bryce Miller with a Marco Estrada changeup? Like, like has the slider. The slider's pretty good, let's be honest. 
and has that elite level fastball and then he throws in a changeup that's coming in at 79 miles per hour. I know it's probably not going to be that slow and be a Marco Estrada changeup. Let's keep in mind Estrada's fastball was like 90 uh, and topped <laughs> out at 90. So let's not you know get too ahead of ourselves. But could you just imagine Bryce Miller with a good changeup that he could throw maybe 20-30% of the time? Like, like think about what kind of pitcher we're looking at and the conversations we're going to be having if this guy can go develop a changeup this offseason. I think you'll see a lot of ankle breakers at the plate if he manages to find that changeup. Right now, on the heat maps, it, it, he's the changeup, the sweeper, uh, the slider, they're all sitting towards the middle of the zone. And I, I feel like that says a lot about the mindset for Bryce Miller. You talked about him facing down challenges with his fastball. This guy's fastball heat map is literally right in the strike zone this is a guy who will face a batter and try and beat them with pure power and that will work at times but it won't work all the times and that's why the off speed is so important and to have the movement on it and if he can get that with how hard he throws with how fast and have such a steep drop off to mix in one maybe two pitches I think you're looking at someone who could be very, very special in the top 15 in the conversation for the top, definitely in the top 15 starters in the league, maybe in the conversation of top 10 in like two, three years, if he can figure it out. And that's just it is he has to go figure it out. I, I'm really interested to see him for the rest of the year. And I really hope he sticks to his guns and does what made him successful in the first place. That's what I'm really looking for from Bryce Miller. Okay, we're going to stick with Seattle here. Tuesday evening, George Kirby takes the mound. Like every Mariners starter, coming off of a bad start, uh, George Kirby takes the mound and just absolutely electric for the Seattle Mariners tonight. You wanted to talk about George Kirby tonight. Yeah, I mean, Kirby has been Seattle's most consistent starter. Like, rarely has he had a truly, like, poor performance. I think... I think he's had like a couple off games, but I wouldn't say he's ever gotten tagged or lit up at any given point. Um, I mean, tonight, career high strikeouts of 10, right? Like this is this is a kid that came in last season, I believe, or the year before. I don't I don't remember at this point, but he's he's developing himself. And for the Mariners to have him in the two three hole is kind of incredible. Um, If he isn't already the ace, I, I feel like. He should definitely be in the conversation for that. It, it was just the way that he was able to command the strikes when he was moving his fastball around while he, he was getting pitchers to bite at it. There was lots of movement on his pitches as well. And it, it's funny because almost everything was high up in the zone, but everybody was swinging at it. That was what was crazy to me. Like he, his command didn't look the best. But the way he had batters fearing for their lives, I think this kid, I think this kid could be very, very special. Who who do you think Seattle can rely on more long term? Like like I know there's a lot of question marks with Bryce Miller, so we won't include him. But like, is George Kirby in the conversation? Because Logan Gilbert's only a year older, right? Like oh, Logan yeah. Gilbert's not that much older than Kirby. Is Kirby in the conversation, and it's it's a good problem to have for Seattle, is Kirby in the conversation to be a better pitcher for Seattle long-term than Logan Gilbert? 
I think Gilbert needs a lot more, not a lot, but he definitely needs more work than Kirby. I, this is such a nice problem to have. Imagine having three starters that can be considered good and borderline elite, and you have Lu and then you have Louis Castillo, who is, I think, one of the best pitchers in MLB thus far this season. If that isn't too hot of a take, it. The fact that you're having this issue with Logan Gilbert, where you have to choose between Logan Gilbert, who at one point was one of the best pitching prospects in the MLB, and George Kirby, who has just been old reliable, old excellent reliable, that is something that would be the envy of any team in the league. Personally, I like a starter like Kirby, who even on his off nights, it's not going to be that bad. And when he's on, he's really, really on. Logan Gilbert, for me, is a lot more high-risk, high-reward. This guy can be unstoppable when he is... Um, this guy can be unstoppable when he's feeling himself, when his game is on. However, when it's bad, it gets really bad for him. Like He either goes three innings, gives up six earned runs, like we saw against the Angels, or he absolutely dominates a team like the Padres, seven innings, um, just pitching his heart pitching his heart out we, we can or or you see something like uh against the new york yankees four innings pitch you see seven you see five earned runs off seven hits or you see a game against atlanta where he goes six strikes out nine uh, it's just too it, he's too up and down right now for me for me to really say that i would i would take logan gilbert over a, a george kirby but that isn't to say that he doesn't have time to iron it out. I just feel like right now, if you're the Mariners, you're putting Kirby ahead of Gilbert in a rotation because he's a lot more consistent, a lot more trustworthy, and you know what he brings to the table. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Looking around the league... Tuesday night, like I said, your Rockies take take it in ten against those Boston Red Sox. Daniel Bard picks up the win, third win of the season for Daniel Bard, and Pierce Johnson picks up his twelfth save of the year. How excited are you to see the Colorado Rockies put together three in the tenth inning to take the win? I'm honestly stunned because the outing that they were having before this point. This is against Boston. And yeah, we can talk all about how Boston's having a pretty down season, how they had probably the shittiest offseason of any team in the AL East. But it's the AL East. They're 33 and 35. Like, this is a this is a decent ball club. We're <laughs> I'm stoked that the my Rockies 
are currently fighting, like, they're currently in it right now. They're on a three-game win streak that's tied for the most in the NL West. Like, come on. What else, what more can you ask for? You're, <laughs> it's just such a weird feeling to be seeing this team actually doing something that's helping them succeed. And you have Ryan McMahon just going to town right now. He is just on one, he's on a heater. This guy's been on a hit streak for the past one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. I, I, I genuinely don't know what to do with myself. This is a team full of underperformers and have someone who's performing. I am wicked stoked. <laughs> Another guy on a hot streak. Uh, Gunnar Henderson. I, I, oh. I feel like we got to talk about Gunnar Henderson. Guy is one of the uh, number one picks to get AL Rookie of the Year this year. I think it's his award to lose, to be quite honest with you. But Gunnar Henderson, four RBIs tonight. Uh, including a homer against the Toronto Blue Jays tonight as the Orioles win their fifth straight game, quietly one of the hottest teams in baseball. They're no Oakland Athletics, but the Baltimore Orioles take it 11-6 against the Toronto Blue Jays tonight, and Gunnar Henderson is on a six-game hitting streak, picked up uh, AL Rookie of the Week honors last week. The guy can play. The guy can absolutely play, and... Look, it, it was another three-hit game. He had a three-hit game against Kansas City two days ago. Uh, and then it was a two-hit game the day before that. And before that, it was another three-hit game. It's not just that he's putting together hits during this hit streak. It's multi-hit games on multiple occasions. And they're three-hit games. Like, that that ain't easy to do. So, Gunnar Henderson, one of the hottest hitters in baseball right now. I... It, it's nice for Oriole fans, uh, for sure, to see them having a good shortstop prospect. And, I mean, this is just... It, you talk about fan bases that you feel for, and you have to look at the Orioles and just kind of feel bad for them. They're mired in a, one of the most competitive divisions in all of baseball. They have... They have... Cheat, uh, like, they have not had a lot of sustained success. And now they have this young, young core... That's performing. And right now, they're actually sitting in second in the AL East after that five-game win streak. It's really pushed up. They're four games back of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, as we know, is sliding a bit against the Oakland, Oakland Athletics of all teams. Um, they're ahead of the Red Hot. Like the, we talk about the bats of the New York Yankees, but Baltimore actually has 334 runs to the Yankees' 311 runs. This is um, this is a good this is a good group. This is a good team that they've put together. And I don't think that many would have expected that they would be in this position. Honestly, if you asked me before the season, I would have swapped Baltimore and Toronto in the standings as they were right now. But credit to credit uh, credit to them. And Gunnar, Gunnar Henderson, I mean, he faced off against a pretty darn good pitcher in Chris Bassett. Uh, Bassett. What, what am I doing today? Uh, Chris Bassett um, today starting for the Jays. And... You want to talk about consistency? Bassett has been one of the one of the most underrated pickups for the Jays in the offseason as a free agent. He, he's brought a lot to the plate, and like you, you, you think about all the gems he's pitched with how inconsistent uh, Barrios is with um, Manoa's struggles and everything. Uh, and to see the Orioles, to see Henderson managing to get to him early, get uh, Bassett out after three innings pitched. That's very impressive, and I feel like more conversation has to be um, 
there's more conversation to be had around the Baltimore Orioles being a real threat, actually, as a wild card team. They're a threat ever since they picked up Aaron Hicks. I would just like to point that out, that I think that Aaron Hicks is going to be the next Joey Gallo. And when I say that, I mean guy who goes to the Yankees, gets run out of town by that fan base, gets his name absolutely tarnished on Twitter by that fan base, goes to another team, and just absolutely rips it up. Maybe not rips it up is the right word, but don't look now. 11 games with the Orioles for Aaron Hicks. 12 hits through those 11 games, two homers. I, I Look, one of those one of those coming tonight versus Toronto, but Aaron Hicks? Aaron Hicks, man, he, he's putting it together after <laughs> some absolutely abysmal performances with the Yankees, especially to close out May there, and that's kind of how he ended up getting moved to Baltimore. But look, like I know he can't really defend all that well anymore, but... Aaron Hicks is helping the Orioles right now. I love to see it. Yeah, and I actually, on Aaron Hicks, um, I remember reading somewhere, uh, I don't remember exactly where now, but uh, apparently one of the first things that the Orioles hitting coaches did uh, when he got there was that they reviewed all his Yankees film and they immediately adjusted his hitting. And basically, a lot of this can be attributed to the change of scenery because he had a team that was willing to work on what he needed to work on. Like with the with the Yankees, let's be honest. Aaron Hicks isn't gonna get any attention from their from from their staff. Like <laughs> you have so much star power, and you have Aaron Hicks, who's just this flame out, this absolute like waste of space on in their lineup. And then you go to the Orioles, and the Orioles are just like, yeah, let's change this, let's change this, let's see how you get on. And credit where credit is due, they found uh, they found a player that. They could turn into something. Uh, they could turn into a useful asset, and it's sort of that old moneyball mentality starting to come back out here. Uh, but you love to see it. Okay, uh, I think this is the final team that I think we need to mention as being one of these kind of hot teams that in the risers and fallers. And I know you want to talk about Shohei Otani, so I'll set you up for that here <laughs> because eight and two in their last ten. And on a three-game winning streak, what did I say? Which, two what did I say? Which have come against the Texas Rangers, <laughs> the first place Texas Rangers, the first team in baseball to forty wins. The LA Angels have rattled off three straight wins, and tonight a seven-to-three victory over the Texas Rangers. Who don't look now, they are just four games back of. For first place in the AL West. <laughs> what what did I say? You never you know what can happen. It. You um, did say it. I, I, I did say that the LA Angels... I picked the LA Angels to win the AL West. This was... I will be honest. Full, like, semi-gut instinct. Semi, oh my god, I just want to see Trout and Otani actually win something and succeed, and succeed because they cannot go this long in their careers without postseason baseball. Anyways, digression aside, I this is pretty impressive. And they they've handed the Texas Rangers a three game a three game losing streak. They are sliding. And the Angels are trending the right way and they're getting right performances at the right time. Like <laughs> you still look at the pitching staff, it's very questionable at best. Outside of Otani and Trout, they don't get much offense. Uh I mean there's Ward, but 
other like there's really not much that's truly remarkable about this uh angels team but they're getting it done and you know what i'm here for it looking at the rangers schedule because because you kind of mentioned you're right the three game losing skid for the rangers I'm here for the Angels winning, but come on. <laughs> They've got some series against the White Sox coming up, a four-game set with the Tigers, the Red Sox, the Nationals. They've got a pretty easy schedule coming up. A lot of games against the Marlins, the White Sox, the Oakland A's. The, the Texas Rangers are still going to take this division. I I think I might have said Houston Astros in the last show when I, when I was picking <laughs> who I thought was going to win the ALS. I, I think the Rangers are going to get it done, man. I know they're not trending in the right direction right now, but they got an easy schedule. I know the Astros do too. They play the Rockies quite a bit down the stretch of the season, but I I, I don't know. I, I, still, I still am not on the Angels bandwagon like I am for the Oakland A's, but... I, I digress. Whatever All... wh- whatever happens, it'll be interesting to see because the looming question is what do you do with Otani at the deadline? Right? Yes. Like if you're if you're the Angels and look, they're four games out right now, if you're two games out of first place and you're in a deadlock for second place with the Houston Astros and it looks pretty similar to how it does right now and you're right there, do you trade Otani? Because and a lot of people are going to say no. The simple answer is no. You got to go for it. You got to go for the playoffs. I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get the best trade deadline package in maybe the history of pro sports. Like I, I, definitely in baseball. Like you're looking at getting, I would think at least four or five of a team's top 10 prospects and immediately adding them to your prospect pool that the impact that has on an organization is massive. Like, like that is a massive impact that you're going to have. If a team is able to acquire Otani, they're going to be giving up basically whatever they have in the prospect pool. So if you're the angels and you know, Otani isn't coming back and sure, maybe they don't know that yet, but it looks like he's not coming back just because of what he's going to cost. <laughs> you need to take that opportunity. Like you need to take those prospects no matter where you are. This is what's hard is that Otani is genuinely a unicorn. We don't, I don't think we've taken for granted how good Shohei Otani is. Like the fact that he's having the season that he is having as of this point, as we're recording and yet, no one seems to be very fussed about it because we're just like, oh, it's Shohei Otani. He currently has 20 home runs through 66 games. It's not scorching pace, but that's pretty darn good. We're in June and he's 20 home runs. Most players can go an entire season without hitting that mark. He has a 291 batting average. His slugging is sitting at 593. During his MEP season in 2021, that was a 592. If it's sustainable, who knows? Um, but that in and of itself is pretty, it's a pretty darn in, good indicator of how he's hitting right now. That's not to mention that any team that's looking to acquire him also re- is acquiring a top 10 pitcher, 
uh, whenever he pitches. It's a longer rest than most players because obviously being a two-way player is quite the mandate. He's currently sitting at a 5-2 and two record. He His 332 um, ERA is not the best. Uh, well, not the best in terms of by his standards because last season he posted a two-something ERA. It's crazy how when we talk about these numbers, we have to contextualize it in, oh, it's just Shohei Otani. Right now he's sitting at a 12.1 strikeouts per nine innings. I think that's just absurd because he's he's not supposed to, he's not supposed to be this good, but he is this good. And you're absolutely right that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. But I I just I'm so stuck on the fact that is there a team that has the assets to acquire a Shohei Otani? Uh, and like we can talk about team acquiring Mike Trout. I think Mike Trout is actually more realistic of a trade target for a team than Shohei Tani is just because of the value that he adds at both sides, um, uh, both sides, uh, both in batting and pitching. But I, I just don't know if there's a team with enough prospect capital uh, that the A's will, uh, that the Angels will obviously demand that, that has a draft pick capital and. Honestly, I think that there's an argument to be made that Otani could command like a decent piece with the potential to grow who's already playing in MLB, like a young a young stud uh, that the Angels would want to add who can contribute within the next two within the next two years as they have along with the prospect hall that they so clearly can get. And I just have trouble thinking of a team that would be able to acquire Otani without severely damaging. Uh, well, not severely damaging because baseball, it's not like hockey where draft picks and prospects matter so much more, so much more, but it's still a lot. And I don't see that there's a team that can make that trade. When you look at the top prospect pools around the league, it's all teams that it doesn't make sense for them to acquire Shohei no, Otani, right? It doesn't. Like, like, the Washington Nationals aren't trading for Shohei <laughs> Otani and look like they might be able to put together a package, but... They can't do it. Like, you know, even the Mariners, we were just talking about them. What does that package look like? Okay, well, it probably starts with Harry Ford. Yeah. Who else, right? Like, who else is in that package? I Look, Julio's not going anywhere. Obviously, I know you mentioned the young roster player. They're not trading Julio. Even if it was for Shohei Otani, I don't no, think they, they wouldn't would make that trade. So, yeah, you're right. Like, like, there might not be a team willing to give them what they want. The Yankees, I think, are a quiet team that could get it done because, you know, they would probably feel comfortable if they could sign them to a contract. And they could also probably say to the the Angels, you're going to lose them for nothing or you can take Jason Dominguez and a few of our other top prospects if you want. But you're going to lose them for nothing and we're going to get them anyway. So why don't we just speed up the process? The Yankees are going to come in and, and try to do something like that. I would not be surprised. And for the, for the Angels... Keep calling them the A's. I got A's on the mind. Angels, <laughs> you you have to make that trade. Like, you have to make that trade if you're the LA Angels. You cannot lose Otani for nothing in the offseason, even if you were going to make the playoffs if you had him. You, you can't. You can't do that. You, you got to you gotta do this properly. You got you to gotta commit. You got to commit to the rebuild, get some prospects in there, and create an act. Like, you, you can literally lay the foundation for the next 10 years, 10 plus years of excellence in Angels baseball if you do this right. So I think they got to shop them at the deadline. I think that's what it's going to come down to. But hey, it's June and they're right there. So where are they in July? Where are they when we're actually coming up 
to the trade deadline. It, it's going to be very interesting to follow if along I, with. If I have to see Otani in pinstripes, I might throw up. But <laughs> at the same time, it'd be better than seeing him in a Red Sox jersey. So I'm really torn here. And those are probably the only two teams that could realistically afford him. Because you think about how much salary that this guy is going to command. I mean, sure, you can talk about the Mets, but do you really think the Mets are going to try and sign this guy after throwing that much money? Actually, wait, what am I saying? They probably would. (laughs) If we know anything about Cohen, he's probably going to do it. That's scary. (laughs) Well, I mean... The, the thing is, is and I was explaining this because I, I should know my dad about it. He was, you know, I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, Otani, he's probably going to get, like, you know, well over $500 million, Like, well over that. And my dad was thinking, like, wow, half, half a billion dollars. Like, that's so much money. And I was saying, like, you know, if you're a team, you're getting a star pitcher who, if a star pitcher like that hit the open market, he's probably costing you two, $300 million. If the best DH in baseball hit the open market... He's also probably costing you at least three hundred million. <laughs> You're getting this in one player, so technically, it makes a little bit of sense that this asset is so so valuable and is going to bring so much money into your organization, right? Like, you know, the amount of money the Angels have made off Shohei Otani, despite not having any playoffs or playoff success at all, is ridiculous. Like, like they have managed to make a lot of money off of Shohei Otani. Like, look. There is so much media attention from, you know, just Japanese media from just having Shohei Otani on the team, right? And that's valuable. Like, that has value to it for the organization. So, look, he's going to get paid a lot of money, and he is going to have earned it when he gets that paycheck. I don't think we're going to see $500 million, but, and you can quote me on this, I have a feeling that that contract starts at $400 million, Probably goes up to four hundred fifty million. I, I think that's the, that's the range we're looking at. I don't know which team's going to give it to him, but you're right. You're adding a top ten player in batting. You're adding a top ten player in pitching in one, and not to mention, like you said, the marketability, how likable he is. This guy, I don't think there is a single guy that actually hates him uh, across every single fan base because we're just kind of in awe about what he uh, about what he's doing. And he just, he would be a perfect centerpiece just to have. And for a team that can afford him, he would, Otani would be the face of a franchise for at least the next five, six years. And that's not, that's not even going into the fact that he can probably, with the way he plays, he can probably still be effective at a later age too. So you're not just burning money on uh, this washed up husk. Um, And just going back to your point about looking at where the angels are, um, in August and whatnot, um, how you th- still think that the Rangers are going to take uh, their division. If the Tampa Bay Rays are having trouble with the Oakland Athletics, then I think there's absolutely a possibility that the Texas Rangers have trouble with the Chicago White Sox and the, uh, and their like. I think it is very possible, and we'll we'll see what happens. I don't want to jinx anything because God God knows that that's um, that that's what happens when you put that energy out in the world. But you know, um, I'd really like a Shohei Otani jersey, and I'd really really like to see it in Angels red. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I hey, look, nobody knows how this is gonna end, 
And it's one of those stories that was just going to keep coming and it's going to keep developing and we're going to keep following along and talking about it basically every week. I think we'll be talking about Shoyo Tani, another guy that it seems like <laughs> we're going to be making a habit of talking about quite a bit is Ellie De La Cruz with Cincinnati Reds. Five steals. <laughs> Five steals in his first eight MLB games. Everybody knew about this guy's power. Everybody knew about the exit velo. Not everybody knew about the speed, and he has wasted no time showing that off to the world. He and the five the five steals in his first eight MLB games is a fran like sits second in the Reds franchise history, a storied franchise with some very good players. He's second only to Billy Hamilton for them, and we 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 talked about this um, in our episode one about how how we knew his power and this is a big guy. We're not expecting him to move that fast. He's moving incredible, and to go along with that, I don't know if you got this uh, got a chance to see this play. But um, we talked about how his defense was a little suspect. This guy, <laughs> this guy just had a bullet throw for a double play today, and I know it's brief. And this is from a, jo- a Jonathan India setup where Ellie um, Del Chris just shifted over and caught it, but he absolutely rifled it to the first baseman. And I think that's a very, very good sign in the step direction. That's also very scary to think that he's already starting to get up to speed defensively in the MLB. Yeah, like, we were talking about it as being a knock on his game, and he's just shown ridiculous arm strength. And look, he he projects as a five-tool superstar. He's probably going to achieve that by next week, if we're being completely (laughs) honest here. Um... I don't think I have anything else. Gary Sanchez is the best catcher ever. I know I was going to try and gloss over that quickly, but six homers through 13 games for Gare Bear. Just ridiculous numbers we're seeing from Gary Sanchez, who is quite honestly the best Padres catcher that they have had in a very, very long time. That's very sad. Yes, it is. I'm comfortable saying that. After 13 games, he is one of the best (laughs) Padres catchers. One of the best catchers in San Diego Padres storied history. As we close out here, MLB team records over the last eight days, 7-0 are the Oakland Athletics, 7-1 are the Angels, 6-1 are those Diamondbacks, 6-2 Cincinnati, San Francisco, and I'm not going to keep going, but you get it. We're seeing some teams that we didn't expect to see up there, up there, and it is going to be awesome to watch. Uh, as we move on here, we'll, we'll record again, I believe, on Friday is the day we're talking about recording. So hopefully another episode out there. Thanks to everybody who uh, checked out the first episode and this one. If you're back for another one, hey, thanks a lot. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps grow the show quite a bit. Uh, and that's all I got. Mike, you got anything else before we close it out here? Nothing else. Fantastic. 0-7 are the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino going down has definitely hurt that club. That's what we'll close it out on. The Mets also suck. Uh, We'll close it out there. Uh, For my co-host, Mike Liu, my name's David Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Batter's Box.